Welcome to season four of Something Came From Baltimore, the podcast and the show. Now we have a support vehicle called Patreon. Patreon is a great way to support your favorite podcast like Something Came From Baltimore. As a tier level gift, you will get the full interviews with these great artists. As you notice, we chop them up and dice them up. We play some music. You don't hear the whole interview and you miss out on so much. It's Patreon. Thank you so much in advance for your support. We want you to be a part of that Be More music scene. Hi, everyone. This is Tom Gacker from Something Came From Baltimore. And if you're listening to this interview and it says the show, like Kate Edmondson, the show, Simon Below, the show, Sean Jones, the show, that means you are listening to a repeat of an episode that has already aired on TheBox.com. TheBox.com is an internet radio station based out of Beemore, and I recommend that you download the station to your phone, and then you will hear Beemore music anytime, 24-7. And if you can set your watch to hear Something Came From Baltimore, the show, it's every week at 7 p.m. Eastern Standard Time on TheBox.com. Wow, this is a repeat of the show. You can listen to Something Came From Baltimore anytime. Just subscribe to YouTube, iTunes, Anchor, Breaker, CastBox, Overcast, Pocket Cast, Radio Public, and Stitcher. Basically, it's everywhere but Spotify because we play music here. Download the podcast and then flip it to five people who may like this type of show. Music fans have to look out for each other. We want you to be a part of the Be More music scene. Happy New Year, Tom. Yeah, hi, how are you? Good, nice to virtually meet you. Yeah, how about that? (laughs) On the first. This is what I'd like to do with you. You're a little different than, we're gonna do the interview, but I'm just gonna ask you questions about you. Because your sure. your album is fantastic. It's perfect. There's nothing. Thank you very much. Yeah. So it's more about like for you at this point, you're a personality driven performer. You're you're mm-hmm. doing jazz, but people want to fall in love with you. So I'm gonna ask you questions about your your background and then when we we'll break into songs from the for the interview. Sweet. Sounds good. Yeah. So we're not really gonna talk about the album. We're just gonna talk about you, who you are and and uh what That's makes you what tick? the album is, yeah. yeah. Yeah, exactly. Works out well. So let's get into it because we're ready to go. It's uh, All right, sounds good. Alex Bird, thank you for joining me today on Something Came From Baltimore. Thank you for having me, Tom. I really appreciate it. The album is called Whiskey Kisses. It came out October 23rd, 2020 on the Independent Records. Is that correct? Yes, yeah, uh, self, self-released. self You're with your team. It's, it's a trio called the Jazz Maverick. Mm-hmm. Three of the best players, definitely in Toronto, probably in Canada. Uh, Mr. Ewan Farncombe on piano, Mr. Scott Hunter on the bass, and Mr. Eric West on the drums. They're, they are three killer musicians. I was curious of how you got to uh, Toronto. What was your childhood like? You were in Romania, and your family picked you up and moved you at six weeks, huh? Yeah, I was adopted from Romania six weeks old i got really lucky um my parents here in 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 canada saw news a news segment about all the uh kids who were piling up in the orphanages after uh the dictatorship of Ceausescu fell um and so they wanted to do something about it so my mom went over and she toured the orphanages and she found me and then 
uh, I came back to Canada at six weeks old and I got really lucky in the fact that my dad, my adopted father was a really big jazz fan. Wasn't a musician, but he was like super into the music. He used to go uh, see everybody uh, when he was a kid, when they came to town. And so he started taking me to jazz clubs when I was two years old. And I grew up going to like these smoky jazz bars at like 11 o'clock at night, seeing Oscar Peterson and Joe Williams and Mel Torme and Diana Krall. And it was, it was, it was pretty crazy. They allow kids uh, two years old to go into Canada's uh, jazz bars? They did, yeah. And I remember the clubs when they still had uh, smoking in them. So maybe the secondhand smoke did a number on my voice. That's why it's so smoky. Uh, <laughs> That's one of my questions. Like, do they still... It's 19, right? There's the, the age limit for getting in there now? Yes, yeah. Usually it is. It depends. Um, some of the jazz clubs uh, allow people under that age up to a certain time, and then it kicks in. Uh, when the bar gets uh, running. So yeah, but I, I got extraordinarily lucky that these places let me in. I think they were really encouraged by the fact that I was just a little kid who was really into the music too. There were a couple of places in town who, who didn't charge me cover charge. They just covered for my dad and were like, we're very excited to have, you know, Alex here tonight. <laughs> He's one of our favorite guests. And I'm like, you know, two feet tall, bopping around to the music. What was the first like artist that that got you excited? Uh, it would have been the first concert I got to see. It was uh, a Canadian uh, act, a big band, really well-known, called Rob McConnell and the Boss Brass. It's a band made up of some of the greatest Canadian artists, and uh, they had a lot of different success all over the country, Europe, the States as well. I think they were in the States for a while performing. I was two years old, you know, growing up, going to see them. I was at the front of the stage, and I was surrounded by these, you know, giant saxophones and massive bass and just these guys playing music and 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 all the different sounds coming together and playing at the same time and it had a really really profound effect on me and um yeah that that band in particular helped helped get me sort of learning about rhythm and learning about time and uh, and swing if you ever get a chance to check out Romacon on the Boss Brass, they swing harder than about anybody else uh, in modern times, for sure. So yeah, that was the first band that, that got me kicked off and then kind of snowballed from there. For you, did you go to any special school at all? I fell into to singing in high school when I really got heavily into the music of Frank Sinatra. Kind of anybody in my field, I guess, he's sort of your first love. And then uh, led me to, you know, discovering the music of Bobby Darren and Peggy Lee and, and, and Chet Baker. I really love his singing so much. So it snowballed from there. But I, I taught myself when I left high school, I went to uh, theater acting school in Toronto. And then I went to film acting school. And uh, when I'm not doing singing, I, I, I do acting as well. But yeah, singing, I taught myself. And it was it was my education wasn't formal in the sense that I went to a music school to learn theory and all this kind of stuff or how to sing properly. It was going to the jazz clubs as a kid uh, without me knowing it. That was my that was my training ground. That was that was where I learned my craft. And it all started sort of uh, started coming out of me uh, uh, when I decided to sing um, and, and then start writing music. It's um, I don't know what I do without those informative years I had. And they are what I tell people. Uh, that's the school I went to jazz clubs. Everyone's going to compare you to Frank Sinatra just because he is the legend. There's always the mm -hmm. discussion, is he jazz or not? And I, and I don't know why we have that discussion. You know, mm -hmm. when you talk about, um, you know, um, Louis Armstrong or Mingus or Mike, mm -hmm. and you're, mm -hmm. you're naming the greats, and sometimes Frank mm -hmm. Sinatra is not in that group. 
and he should be, in my opinion. I, I he should be. Yeah, I consider him a jazz artist. I have a, a the one. I had a cute question. You know, like uh, Kinseyan sex level is one through ten. Ten being totally heterosexual. One, I guess, being yeah. gay. I guess. But I was like, where are you on the Kinseyan scale of Frank Sinatra? Like, how heavy? How what's your <laughs> what's your number on him? Uh, I mean, it's got to be the highest part of the scale. I mean, he's. He he set the tone for for so much and for so many people. He's really standardized popular singing back then, and and uh, also to touch on what you were just talking about about calling Frank Sinatra a jazz musician. Uh, in my opinion, uh, a perfect example that he was a jazz musician is all the famous jazz musicians, Miles Davis, people like that, who said he was a jazz musician and loved his music and. Miles Davis even phrased a lot of his trumpet playing off Frank Sinatra's singing. So, I mean, if that's not the ultimate compliment to was he a jazz singer, I, I don't know what is. Um, but, yeah, definitely on the scale, I'd, I'd be a, a 10 right at the top. A solid 10. Yeah, I'm the same way. I've, I've, one of my first shows that I ever had was, is Frank Sinatra a jazz artist? And, of course, he is. In my opinion, mm. and I really feel that he gets neglected in the top five, top ten when you talk about jazz mm. legends. Mm. And I was like, oh, we need to consider him in that top five because yeah, of, of his, his body of work is fantastic. And he was gracious. Like, he always reached out and tried to bring yes. other uh, jazz artists into the fold. And uh, yes. he was experimental at the same time. He did a lot of crazy stuff. He uh, absolutely was, yeah. I disc jockey in Baltimore and... Uh, it's a happy hour on Sundays, and I'll play Downtown uh, by <laughs> by Frank Sinatra. It's like from 1969. Yeah. It is, yeah. is goofy as hell, but people... It is super goofy. Yeah, people love it. <laughs> they love this. Yeah, it's a, it's a fun throwaway, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, like, he, you can tell he just knocked that out one take easily. Yeah, he didn't want to have to do it again, but he's, it's, it's, it's a Frank Sinatra song. You can hear it. It's, it's, he's, not, uh, he's not fooling around. No. Is there any mm. other artist like that maybe on the current side that you're like I'm I'm totally in love with? A lot of my musical influences which I think are heard in in the debut album. I mean, I love like Sam Cooke and Jackie Wilson and uh, Elvis and I really love uh, like Chris Christopherson and Bob Dylan and all these other fantastic songwriters. Um I love Elvis Costello. I think a lot of his early stuff is super super cool. Speaking in terms of modern, modern people, I've really been on a kick recently with um, Billie Eilish. I think she's fantastic. And I think her music is so dynamic and interesting. And the fact that she's just doing it alone with her brother is is pretty extraordinary, too. Um, but yeah, you know, I, I listen to a little bit of modern stuff, but but not too much. My, my musical tastes are definitely set in the past, but it's not just jazz. Uh, it's It branches to so many different types of music because there's so many different types of good music. I think it's that, that quote that uh, Duke Ellington said, there's, there's no genre of music, there's just good music. So if something's good, I'm going to listen to it. Uh, that's interesting. Uh, the Elvis Casello stuff was like, that's in my wheelhouse. The, the first, uh, Imperial Bedroom, in, to me, is like a perfect album. Yeah, there's, yeah it's fantastic. Yeah, and um, to this day, you know, I was like, okay, if you ever wanted to know anything about Elvis Costello, pull that album out. Yeah. I see you as a child. It looks like you're emceeing like a, a jazz. That is correct. Uh -huh. Yes. Yeah, that was um, 
again, going to the jazz clubs, uh, uh, my dad was uh, uh, working as a fundraiser for a charity at the time, and uh, he put together a little show with uh, a bunch of the really top-notch musicians in town, and we did it at a place called the Top of the Senator, which which doesn't exist anymore, which is a fantastic jazz club. And uh, I got to be the little MC, so I introduced people and, you know, all that kind of stuff. It was, uh, it was, I have the tape somewhere. It's something like a VHS or something. But that was my first time on stage, I guess. Uh, I was probably, I don't know, seven, eight years old. It was around that same time that I actually got to host a jazz radio show mm. out of York, York University uh, in downtown Toronto. This gentleman named Rob Fogel, who's like a jazz uh, historian and, and broadcaster, he's a really, really sweet man. But he found me, saw me bopping at one of the jazz clubs when I was like eight years old. And uh, he came over and uh, and and introduced himself, and uh, he got me to sign a napkin <laughs> with like my little scribbly eight-year-old handwriting. And he says, "One day this is going to be worth a lot of money." So I, I don't know, maybe it's worth like twenty bucks now. Um, um, but but he had me on his radio show, and I got to introduce the songs. And you know, up next is Buddy Rich and all that kind of stuff. And here's Woody Herman. And so I have the tapes of me again at like eight years old, around that same time that that picture you mentioned where I'm you know, co-hosting a jazz radio show, which was pretty cool. That is very cool. Uh, I was looking at the artists that you, I guess you bumped into while you were a child. And I went back mm-hmm. and I'm saying, okay, well, if you were born in 1990 and mm-hmm. these people passed away, some are alive, but like Ray Brown, you would have been, he was 12 when he passed. So were you able yes, to, to, yeah. meet, to meet him? I met him on a number of occasions. Whenever he'd come to town, we'd we'd sit and chat. He loved talking about CFL football, <laughs> so he was always asking like how the how the Argos were doing, which is our team. But um, yeah, he always remembered me when he came to town. Always sat down and 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 wanted to talk for a little bit. And uh, I got to see him that club I just mentioned, the top of the senator. He used to come maybe every year, every two years. And I was just sitting front row, just getting to see him and and his and his trio. And he was the sweetest, nicest man. When you're, you know, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, seeing Ray Brown, you think, wow, this is a great musician, and uh, he's really nice. He's a nice man. I'm, uh, I'm enjoying myself. But it is, it has, it wasn't until uh, later when I really got into singing and music more than just being at the clubs and sort of soaking it in via osmosis. Then I start, you know, looking at Frank Sinatra albums or this album or that album and you know, Ray Brown's there and Ray Brown's playing here and Ray Brown's doing this. And you get into Ray Brown albums and you're like, I didn't realize how big Ray Brown was as a kid. He was just a wonderful old man who came and played bass and he was really sweet to me and I enjoyed the music. But, it, you know, in hindsight, I was like, these were jazz masters, monsters, legends. And I and I got to meet and know uh, a lot of them, which is crazy to think back on. I mean, they really got me to this point in a sense. So it's crazy, crazy stuff. Just by doing my my show, Ray Brown always pops up as like being a, like a kind, decent, yes. generous, and uh, super talented. I have a thing for Oscar Peterson. So mm. yeah, you would have been 17 if uh, the time that he passed. Were you able to yeah. talk to him? I did. I got to see Oscar probably four or five times, and uh, I, I I talked to him on a, a number of occasions. I got a photo with him, and then the next time, it, that's essentially what we do: is I'd get a photo with the artist, then we'd see them again, and they'd sign it. And through that process, I got to talk to Oscar a little bit. 
I was playing piano at the time and he always kept encouraging me to keep up with piano, keep up with piano. And fortunately I didn't listen to Oscar Peterson and I didn't keep up with piano, but I, I still garnered a lot of musical knowledge from him. So yeah, it was, again, there's another monster uh, jazz player who like Ray Brown is, was such a sweet um, kind soul who was more than happy to talk to a little kid about music and try to encourage them. I think that, yeah, it's really special. Yeah, I think that the whole kid magnet is your your uh, your win. You know what I'm saying? Like, it was like, great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I was like, man, I wish my parents played your strengths. Yeah, 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 yeah. Definitely. What? When did you actually have your acting bug in high school? Yeah, I started acting in high school and then uh, in in drama class, and then decided that I wanted to really make a go of that. So I went to theater and, and film school afterwards, and I've had a little bit of uh, minor successes along the way. I got to play. Um, young Al Capone on a, uh, a show on CBC called Frankie Drake Mysteries, which was a lot of fun. And uh, I just had a, a little feature film debut last year in It Chapter 2. I got to act alongside Bill Hader, which was extraordinary because he's one of my favorites, uh, favorite actors, comedians. So along the way, acting comes, and it's really tough to control that business because there's so many people doing it, and it's such a crapshoot and casting comes down to such arbitrary things. So when acting comes along, comes along and I'm ready for it, but uh, music I can control. And uh, it's been extraordinary to have music, especially during, um, you know, this time of COVID, which has put a stop to everything and has hurt so many different people, not just in the music industry. So to be able to control music still and, and release the album and, and have a presence online and, and still be able to do that, I think is is really important but yeah acting when it comes music all the time is essentially my, my thing one thing that is great is that you're kind of land in the new hollywood you know you you're in the town of of uh, toronto which is it's the hollywood capital right now we, i mean basically we have some fantastic uh some of the best crews and also facilities we have uh, uh pinewood studios north which is the offshoot from the the big studio in in the uk and it's a fantastic amazing place that are it's it's creating amazing jobs for people amazing shows uh, are, are being filmed there and a lot of toronto also especially when you go to the west end it looks really really old some of it looks almost like it, it would be brooklyn so we have a lot of uh, american shows coming up too so it's encouraging to see that. Did you ever meet up with Dave Foster or Quincy Jones? Because they're your... No, they're, oh, man, I wish. Yeah, I wish. yeah. they're your guys. They know, no, they I know wish, I wish. Yeah, I know Quincy has where he, an outreach uh, for his label where he's always yep. looking for people. Yeah, uh, we have to put a put a twenty twenty one juju out there. Yes, you, please, Mister yeah. Mister Jones. Please take a listen to Whiskey Kisses. Yeah, I I mean through the years, it's really weird. Like I'm a big um, Quincy. Like you can tell his production, and it's a mm -hmm. it's a big deal. What is your writing style when you come to the band? Like, what is your are you lyrics and they you have the band doing the the music? So. Um... It's a bit interesting because I, I can't really, I mean, I played piano for a bit, so I can read music, but I can't really play. And it, it's a long drawn out process. But essentially what I do is I, I, I uh, do the music and lyrics at the same time in, in my head. And uh, I, I craft both at the same time, basically. And then I have like a vocal 
rough melody track with the lyrics. Then I take it to um, my songwriting partner, Mr. Ewan Farncombe, who is a m magical monster player. I sing it for him. I have like certain intonations or I'll be like, this is the band does this, or I think this groove would work. And then he starts playing the song like he's, he's played it a million times before. And he fleshes it out. He gives me a couple different chord changes that he thinks might work. Uh, and then we take it to the band, and then we basically all work the arrangement on the spot, and then just kind of comes to life that way. But yeah, it's an interesting way of songwriting. Uh, um, I, I do kind of both at the same time. Um, and I find a lot of the times, you know, you're writing a song, you have a melody, you start singing these lyrics and the lyrics are almost kind of placeholder lyrics or you tell yourself that until you come back to it and rewrite them. But for the most part, uh, a lot of the lyrics that I sing for the first time when I'm getting that melody out stick and stay, I guess it's just kind of like a, a intuition or something. But for me, it really starts. Um, and then. The lyrics from there. I mean, I'm really inspired by a lot of the old songwriters like Hoagie Carmichael and 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 uh, Johnny Mercer and and one of my favorites outside of jazz is Paul McCartney. I think he is a monster musician and someone who can write a melody like nobody else. So I always try to draw a little bit of that when I'm when I'm doing my songwriting. Mm. Yeah, I'm a big Beatle fan. Um, mm -hmm. And Paul, what do you think of the? Did you listen to the new album? I thought it was fantastic. I thought there's a lot of cool stuff on there. Mm. Laboratory Lil was really groovy. It reminded me of something that might have been off like uh, Abbey Road. Yeah, I mean the the guy's 78 and he just had a, you know, his first number one uh, album in sales on the Billboard charts for like the last 30 years or something. So it's really inspiring that you can have somebody like that who's done it all, has it all, just goes and makes music because he wants to. Mm. Yeah, it's also his longevity is that you really realize that you're cycled. Where if you're in yeah. your business, I mean, he's been famous since 1964. That yeah, he, since he was like 22 or whatever. Yeah, yeah, he's been in and out of fashion. And then last, I don't know, the like last 20 years, he's been a, a bullseye for a lot of love. So you realize that it's a long haul race. And he's an example of someone who keeps on pushing away and, and keeps on finding an audience and newer audience and and younger artists want to work with him too i mean you know kanye west did a collaboration with him and and taylor swift uh you know so he's a lot of the younger artists too really his musicality i mean it's hard not to so it's yeah it's kind of reminds me a little bit of um tony bennett and his his longevity and the guys 94 now yep. and uh, up and up until you know COVID, he was still performing out there and, and working with artists and his lady gaga stuff amy winehouse when she was still with us katie, that that katie longevity lang. is katie lang yeah that longevity is so hard to find but it's so inspiring when you see these guys and they're still trying to do new things too not just the same old thing and that's that's something i think you have, really should try to remember or try to try to instilling yourself you don't have to be old to be doing it you can be you know whatever age you are one last question i have for you is this covid's gonna break we're gonna go into a, a brand new year and what's your game plan to hit the road and what's what's that gonna look like i've already written enough material for the second album so we're we're, we're getting that ready my goal is to uh get back into the studio hopefully by the end of 2021 and, and record it and get it ready for release um you know a lot of people they wait so long to do the next album I want to keep making music i mean you know something it was some something like 19 
1955, 54, somewhere in there, somewhere in the 50s, there was one year Frank Sinatra released like five albums. Mm -hmm. And you're you're just kind of like, what? Obviously, the business has changed immensely. But um, yeah, I just wish more people would create more in that sense. So that's what I'm going to try to do. Uh, we, we, we did Whiskey Kisses. It was fantastic. We had a wonderful time. I think it was a great representation of us at that point breaking out and, and trying to put something new uh, on the market. And uh, we've already done new stuff since then. So let's get that out and let's keep evolving and changing and trying to create some new sounds. So album is on the plans and uh, hopefully depending on when live gigs come back, it's going to be a little tough because, you know, a lot of my friends and I are hurting and, and, and we don't, we haven't had opportunities. And uh, also a lot of the clubs have closed uh, in Toronto, the, something like over, just over 20 of the places you would go to shut down and, and probably won't be coming back. So finding gigs is going to be tricky because you're going to have the same amount of musicians trying to get gigs, but less places. So it'll be interesting to see how that process plays out. But I, I, I think, I think if we get our music together and get it ready, whether it's album or live, we're going to be in a good place. I thank you very much, Alex Bird, for talking to me on Something Came From Baltimore. Thank you, Tom. Yeah. Whiskey Kisses, the album, nothing but a solid, solid album. I want everyone to, to uh, listen to it and uh, keep your eye on him because he's, he's going places. Very sweet of you. Thank you. Yeah, great. All right. I, I love it.